Anybody know what yesterday was? No, no, no. Yesterday was Reformation Day. Did you know that? No. 498 years ago yesterday, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, and in doing so, started a movement that changed the whole world. And, and we're here today as uh, greatly as a result of what, of what he was willing to do that day and others, and basically raised issues about things that we were singing about today. Like, are we, are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? We're saved by grace. And so he wanted to fight for that. He wanted to fight for a biblical stand on all that. And, and so, um, you know, other people, October 31st is another thing. But for me, it's always a day to celebrate. It's almost 500 years ago now that God really set the church in a direction that made it possible for us to be doing what we're doing today. So I praise God for that. But it seems to me that not everybody that I know was celebrating Reformation Day yesterday. There were some people who were celebrating some other kind of a thing. And uh, how many of you got a chance to be with some little kids this weekend doing some kind of fun thing related to that? Little children dressed up looking like strange things. Um, we, we had the opportunity this weekend, our, our grandkids stayed with us, and uh, you know, uh, you've probably heard me say this before, but I'm telling you, the grandkid thing is, is really worth the deal. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it's, it's pretty great. It's especially great for me because when they stay the weekend, Christy does 95% of the work and I get to play with them and it's really great, and then we send them home. So it's really fabulous. But uh, Christy works at an elementary school and... Uh, their school was having a big fundraiser carnival on Friday, and so we got the opportunity to just take the kids to this event. And it was really cool because, um, you know, one of the things about having little kids around, all my other kids are grown now, so having little kids around again is really cool. And one of the reasons it's cool is because it really strokes my ego. They, they actually think I can do stuff. They're, they're impressed with me, right? They think I'm more impressive than I am by far, and they think I can do anything, that I know everything, that I could fix anything, I could build anything, all of that. They just think I'm amazing, right? They think I'm the biggest, strongest guy they know. And so what's really awesome, we, we took them to this event and there's bounce houses and, and booths and games and candy and all this stuff. And there was a petting zoo. Well, it wasn't a petting zoo. It was a couple of animals in a pin, but they called it a petting zoo and it was the most pathetic petting zoo I've ever seen. There was like a duck and a couple of chickens, you know, and like a pigeon laying there, <laughs> like as the seat belonged there. And, and, but they had a couple actual four-footed creatures. They had a little pony that was off in the back, and he had his mane painted in rainbow colors, so he looked more like a unicorn or something than a pony. And, um, and then there was a goat and a, a lamb. And so I said to the kids, hey, you want to go? you want to go in the petting zoo and pet the animals? And they said, no. I said, no, the animals, they're nice animals. Let's go in the pet. No, they don't want to go. Do you want to go over and look at them? Yes. Okay, so we go over. We're standing by the little gate here. By the, there's a fence between us and these animals. And this, um, this goat looks up at us and just starts moving toward us. And as he starts moving toward us, um, my grandson just grabs my leg like this, like, okay, you are going to kill this goat, right? <laughs> you are not going to let this creature come and get me, right? And, and he just figures, I am the goat master. I can take this thing out because I am the biggest, strongest guy around. And so it's kind of fun when you have these kids who think you're more impressive than they are. 
I'm telling you this to ask you this question. How big's your dad? Not, not your earthly father, but your heavenly father. When you, when you picture God, when you think about God, when, when you're singing these songs of praise to God, are you mesmerized? Are you blown away? Are you astonished by him? Or is it actually possible for you, as it is for me, to, to sing words like, how great thou art, and not really give it all of the thought that it deserves, that we serve this amazing, awesome God. My hope today is that as we take a glance at what God has revealed to us about himself, that by the time we leave here today, you will be more impressed with God than you ever have. I couldn't care less if you like my sermon. Don't care whether you think I'm a good preacher. Don't care if you think it's too warm, too cold, the music's too loud or too fast or too slow. Not real interested in all that. Here's what I want. When you leave here today, I want your jaw to be hanging open and I want you to be thinking, wow, my God is awesome. And so we're going to look at the book of Psalms as we have started doing. And, and this is cool because there's 150 Psalms to choose from and I'm just going to be covering a few of them. And the neat thing is I get to pick. There are some, songs that, some psalms that I really love and that speak to me, and uh, maybe you don't like the psalms that I'm going to pick, and this, that's a bummer to be you because I'm the preacher. <laughs> so, but, but my hope is not that you'll go, wow, I've come to love Psalm 19. My hope is not that you'll go, wow, Pastor Doug knocked it out of the park today. My hope is that when you walk away from here, you will say, God is an awesome God, I can't get him out of my mind. I can't take my eyes off him. I can't stop thinking about him. I want to give my whole self to him. That's what I want to happen today. I want you to be impressed with God. And if you become impressed with God like that, it leads to something. It leads to things like peace instead of fear, amen? If you have this sense of how great your God is, you know, the scripture says, if God is for us, who can stand against us, right? If God is for us, who can stand against us? If God is so great, whom shall I fear? Who has power to destroy the work that God has done? I don't have to live in fear. I can live in peace, even in difficult circumstances, because my God is so awesome. That's why we need to be impressed with God. We need to be impressed with God because when we're impressed with God, when we see him for who he is, or at least get a glimpse of who he is, we have hope. Your circumstances sometimes rise up around you like walls and all you can see is the darkness from, from the situation that you're in. And you need to remember, you need to, you need to hold fast to know that God is God and he's always going to be God. And whether your circumstances become better or worse and we all go through ups and downs in life, guess what doesn't change? God. And so we can have hope even in the midst of difficult circumstances when we're appropriately impressed with God. We can trust Him. We can learn to obey Him. We can say, yeah, God, you know, what you're asking of me doesn't make a lot of sense, but, but I know that you're right and I'm going to follow you. And then we can begin to experience the abundant life that Christ came to give us. That's the point of what we're trying to do today. Because sometimes we can get pretty comfortable with God. And sometimes we can get pretty comfortable even with our own understanding. And, and if you've, you've been around church long, you've read your Bible, and you've, you've heard the stories, and you've read the Psalms, and you've done all that kind of stuff, you know, we run the risk. We really do. Maybe some of you experienced this this morning. I don't know if you noticed the songs that we sang just now, some of those lyrics are unbelievable. 
unbelievable that we are saved by grace alone, that God is so great that He spoke all of the world into existence and all of the universe into existence. How great is our God? And we can actually become so used to God, we've heard it all before, that we're not even stirred in our hearts and it doesn't seem to make much difference to us. And I want us to get a glimpse of God that will change that forever. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, and go to Psalm chapter 19. And we're going to start out just uh, reading the first six verses of Psalm 19 together. So turn to Psalm 19, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Here's what it says. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. All right, let's stop there for a second. Because we're not so much talking about God, are we? We're talking about creation. As we read this, it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And here's one of the challenges that we face as Christians. Our God is infinite. He is beyond anything that we could possibly understand or know. This Bible does not tell you everything about God. All it tells you is what He's revealing to you. There's so much more about God than your mind or mine could even comprehend if we knew it, right? All we know about God is what has been revealed about Him. And there's several ways that He reveals Himself, one of which is obviously the Bible. He tells us about Himself in the Bible. Another one is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus reveals God to us, that when we see Jesus, we see God. And then another way that He reveals Himself to us is through creation. And there are multiple places in the Bible where it says, if you look at what God has created, you're going to get a glimpse of something about God. And I want us to understand this because here's the truth of the matter. A creation always reveals something about its creator. A creation always reveals something about its creator. And, and I want to uh, illustrate this for you so you understand because what we're going to do in Psalm 19 and these other passages we're going to be looking at in a moment is we're going to be getting a glimpse not so much of God, but of what God created and what that tells us about Him. But God's creation tells us a lot about Him because a creation always reveals something about its Creator. Let me give you an example. I'm going to put a picture up on the board, okay? And we're just going to try to figure something out about this. What sort of person do you suppose created that? A child? Yeah, about, about what age? Three, four, five, right? I'm going to ask the moms. The moms will know. The, the dads are like, I don't know, 17, 20, <laughs> right? Moms, what, what age is that? About, four or five. about maybe four or five. Okay, so we see this picture and we go, oh, this is a child, right? And I don't know if that picture looks like your family or not, but apparently it looks like that kid's family. And we can learn just by looking at it something we go, this is almost certainly the work of a child, right? But what you notice at the top, what do you see at the top? Yes, yeah, there's writing. Do you suppose that same four-year-old wrote that? No. There's something we can figure out about this creation. It was teamwork, obviously. There seems to have been um, at least two people involved in the creation. There was somebody doing the drawings. Those look fairly uniform. 
but then the writing is not the writing of a three, four, five-year-old, right? And so we go, okay, this is the work of a child with the help of a teacher or a parent or something like that, right? And we learn, we know nothing about this, but we, we can gather some things just by looking at it. Let me show you another picture. Okay, what, are we, what can we figure out about this picture? Who, what kind of person drew this? Okay, was it, a, was it a child or an adult? Child? What age? Same as the other one? No, this one's older, right? How old, moms? How old? Eight to ten? Something like that? Okay. And Jim, what did you say? Well, how do you know it's a girl? Yeah, look at the sun. Okay? That sun was drawn by a girl. Okay? If that sun was drawn by a boy, it would have a helmet and a sword and it would be bashing the roof or something like that, right? But drawn by a girl, it has a pretty makeup and big face and all of that kind of stuff. So we know it's drawn by a girl who's about 8 to 10 years old, something like that. We could figure that out by looking at it, right? Now, look at this picture. Do you suppose that was drawn by the same person? No. Who created this, do you suppose? Okay. Was it an adult or a child? Has to, has to be an adult, right? And uh, this is an artist, somebody said, right? This is not just some, somebody sitting down scribbling, right? Um, in fact, you would go beyond saying this is an artist. You would say this is a master, right? This is, this is absolute masterpiece, and it's spectacular. And this is a master craftsman who puts this together with the glass and all of the lead that's in it and the colors and the beauty and all that it symbolizes and the way that it just jumps out at you. There's a depth to this kind of art. And you look at it and go, okay, I can guess some things about its creator, right? What do you suppose was probably the religious persuasion of its creator? Christian. Probably Christian. The cross is right in the center of it. So, so you, this is, I'm not telling you all this so you can critique the art. My guess is there's a lot of you who like the first picture better than you like the last picture. That's not the question. I want you to just see this phenomenon. What the scripture tells us is true. The creation actually gives us a lot of clues about the creator. And what we want to do is we want to think about God's creation and how amazing it is and see what we can learn about the creator from that. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles um, to Isaiah chapter 40. And as you're turning, it's about four books to the right, four or five books, something like that. As you're turning there, I want to I ask you a question. I want you to think about something. Um, let's just say, for instance, that you, you were, you're walking through the backwoods, you're out hiking somewhere, and as you're hiking, you, you notice something laying on the ground. And so you, you see the sun glimmering off of it, and you go, huh, I wonder what this is. And you go over, and you pick it up, and you press the little button, and it, and it comes to life. And then you, you take your fingerprint, and you put your fingerprint on it, and drag it down, and then it opens up, and it shows you all of these applications, and somebody texting me during church, and all that kind of stuff, and, and you see all these different things that it can do. And you go, wow, this thing plays music. Wow, this thing takes pictures. Wow, you can type a letter on this thing. Wow, you can um, read your email on this. There's all these, it's tied into this gigantic thing called the World Wide Web. There are people everywhere that you can be in contact. And you go, wow, this is amazing. 
just laying here out in the middle of the woods, I bet it must have taken billions of years for something like this to just by chance come together and all of the elements of this came together in just the right way at just the right time so that it could tie into the internet and you can make phone calls and take pictures and videos. What an incredible chance, how lucky I am that I found this thing that over billions of years became this. Is that what you would think? No. You look at something like this, a creation of this kind of complexity, and what do you think? Someone created it. This was intelligently designed, right? And, and so it, it kind of boggles my mind, honestly, and we get into debates in our culture about whether God exists or not and where the world came from and all this kind of stuff, and it just boggles my mind the amount of faith that it takes to be someone who doesn't believe there's a designer. The amount of faith that it takes to look at the complexity of design, because I'm telling you, your cell phone is complex as it is, and it's way more complex than any of us understands, right? Your cell phone, as complex as it is, isn't nearly as complex as one human cell. Not nearly. It's not nearly as complex as, as, as just one ocean on, on one planet, right? And, and yet we have this problem that somehow we get so used to the creation around us that we can walk through this creation and just sort of shrug our shoulders and go, huh, isn't this interesting? And some of the, quote, greatest minds of our day are saying now that the, the, the universe created itself. And, the, and, and that's the best guess. That's what the smartest guys can come up with. And you say, wow, how is this possible that we don't understand that when we see creation, it's supposed to hearken unto a creator? Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 and see more about this. We're going to pick it up in Isaiah 40. I wish we had more time for Isaiah 40, but we're just going to pick it up in verse 12. And we're going to look at a couple sections here of Isaiah 40. Talking about God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out the heaven by the span? calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Let's just stop there. This is an unbelievable picture. What does Isaiah say? He's saying, okay, listen, I can't really describe God. There are not words there are not concepts that we even understand to fully describe God. But he says, what I want to do is give you a glimpse of how great the creator must be just by mentioning his creation. And he begins to talk about creation, and he talks about how, how big God really is. Now look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? He's talking about all the water on earth. Now, let me be clear. This is poetic, Okay. We're not talking about God with an actual hand and how big is his actual hand and how many gallons of water can it hold. That's not the point. The point is that he is saying, our God is so big that if we could imagine one who could scoop up all the water on earth and hold it in the hollow of his hand, 
Now we're getting close to an idea of how immense and how awesome our God is. He says that if, um, if God were to try to measure all of the universe, that he would measure it by a span. What's a span? Yeah, from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky, that width, that's a span, okay? He says God measures the whole universe by a span. Now, that is kind of an awesome concept to think about this because we do have some information about the universe. And so I, I'm, I was thinking about how I could sort of make this come alive and help you to get a sense of this. So I, I just want to put it this way. Let's say, well, let me just ask you a question. Who knows, you science smart people out there, who knows, um, the, what is the speed of light? Come on, say it loud, you're so, you're so sure. What is it? 186,000 miles per hour? No. Per minute? No. Per second, okay? Light moves fast. 186,000 miles per second. Now, let's just say for the sake of discussion that we could build a spaceship, okay? A rocket ship that traveled at the speed of light. Now, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Let me give you some perspective on this. The, the um, space shuttle, uh, sort of top speed on the space shuttle, 20,000 miles per hour. Now, that's fast. That's really fast. 20,000 miles per hour. The speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Got some perspective? Okay, so let's just say that before the service today, I was in my laboratory back in the back there, and I was working on this rocket, and I came up with this rocket that goes 186,000 miles per second. And let's say we decided to test it out by putting Jim on it, and we're going to send him somewhere on this rocket, okay? And so um, we choose you because you have the most experience. That's what we figure, okay? So we're going to put Jim on this rocket, and let's just say that we're going to send the rocket completely around the world one time. It's going to go right around the circumference of the earth one time. How long would it take? 0.11 seconds. Okay? Around the world in 0.11 seconds. That's traveling at the speed of light. Okay? So Jim gets back. We didn't even know he left. We're like, what happened? And he's like, oh, it was great. You should see the Sierras this time of year. It's beautiful. And he's telling us all about his trip. And we're like, wow. That was fast. And we say, let's, let's test it. Let's see what we can really do with this thing. And so we decide to answer Linda's prayer and send Jim to the moon, okay? So how far is the moon? It, it really depends on the orbit and all that, but, but roughly on average, the moon is about 240,000 miles away, okay? We're going to send Jim to the moon on our rocket ship at the speed of light. He gets to the moon in 1.3 seconds, Okay? So we say, you know what? This is working out so well. Let's send him to the sun. Don't worry. We send him at night. He'll be fine, right? <laughs> we send him to the sun, right? How long does it take to get to the sun? 8.3 minutes. In 8.3 minutes, our rocket ship with Jim, who now is starting to have some motion sickness, is at the sun, okay? And then and we say, you know what? This is working so great. Let's see what this baby will really do. Let's take the, let's take the training wheels off this thing. We're going to send it all the way to Pluto, which was a planet and then wasn't a planet and now is a planet again. Hooray for Pluto, right? Okay? So we're going to send him to Pluto, which is the furthest planet in our solar system, and we decide we're going to send him there. He gets there in 13.7 days, less than two weeks to get to Pluto. Okay? Now, to give you some perspective, remember I told you the space shuttle does about 20,000 miles per hour? 
The, the space shuttle would take 20 years to get there. Jim got there in less than two weeks, okay? Now, we say, all right, this is awesome. Let's just take all the chains off. Let's see what this thing can really do. And we decide to send them to the nearest star, not a far star, the nearest star, which is Alpha Centauri. It's the closest star to Earth. And we decide we're going to send them to Alpha Centauri at the speed of light. It will take them 4.3 years at the speed of light to get to Alpha Centauri, okay? And we say, well, let's just see how long it takes them to get across the whole galaxy. So from one end to the other, to the Milky Way, we put them across the galaxy at the speed of light, 100,000 years. That's just our galaxy. Now, how, how many galaxies are there? It's now estimated that there's 125 billion galaxies. It takes 100,000 years at the speed of light to get across our galaxy. And our God can measure the universe in a span. How great is our God? See, we, we have become so comfortable and so used to the way that we can approach Him. Thank God that by His grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, we have access to Him. We get to call Him Daddy. We get to just jump up in His lap. And we just have this sense of Him as our best buddy and all that kind of stuff. Guys, while we remember that Jesus is our best buddy, let's not forget that He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He created everything with one word. Our God is an awesome God. And we mustn't lose sight of that. How big is your God? When I ask that question, what I mean is when you get this picture of God in your mind, your, your thoughts about God, I don't know how big it is, but I know this, it's not big enough. And I, I want to I help you to see this more. Go to the New Testament, the book of Romans. We'll come back to um, Psalm 19 eventually, but go to Romans chapter 1. Because in the book of Romans, Paul is about to outline for us the human condition and what God has done about the human condition. And he begins in chapter 1 by telling us the truth, the hard truth that we probably don't want to hear. It's in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, okay? So get to Romans chapter 1 and go to verse 18. Here's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in, righteousness, in unrighteousness. And I'll stop there for a second. I want you to think about what it just said. If you're, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, highlight those words, suppress the truth. Do you understand that God has given us everything we need to know about Him and to worship Him and to honor Him? And when we choose not to do it, it's not because we don't get the truth, it's because we suppress the truth. It's because we're not willing to listen. We're not willing to see what God has made clear to us. So he says, God's wrath is is um, rustled up, if you will, because of this. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In other words, if you are a human being, there's a thumbprint of God on your heart that you were born with. You are born with a knowledge of God. You know that God exists you understand that you are accountable to him. You get that at some level, even from your earliest point. God puts that in your heart, and yet we suppress that truth. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. 
These, these people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they have no excuse, he says, because not only did God put a knowledge of him in their hearts, in all of our hearts, but he also places us in the middle of this unbelievable creation so that when we look, we have to go, oh, there must be an unbelievable creator. And he gives us that evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. And if we ignore the evidence, he says, you're without excuse. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And that, my friends, gives us a theological explanation of how it is possible that the people with the highest IQs in all of the land can come up with ideas like maybe the universe created itself. Professing to be wise, those who suppress the truth and turn away from God become fools. Now, I want you to go to Psalm chapter 8 as we go back to the Old Testament. And I want you to see this from another angle. Chapter 8, book of Psalms. It begins like this, familiar words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you've crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we get our eyes on the awesomeness of God, it should come to us in a way that puts us in awe and puts us in wonder. It should cause us to be astonished when we realize that this God who creates all this and is so great and so awesome and so mighty, that this God who is so much greater than we could possibly imagine looks at you and looks at me and says, you are the highlight of everything to me. You are the top of my creation. You're a little lower than me. You are everything to me. All that is created has been created to sustain your relationship with me. It's all to bring God glory in our lives. And you think about this for a second. I mean, I don't know these scientific answers any more than anybody else does. Why are there 125 billion galaxies that we know of or think we know of? Why did God do all of that? I don't know the answer. I don't know what the role of every star is that's in the sky. I don't know why all the animals were created and what the cockroach serves and what kind of purpose that serves and why we have an appendix. I don't know the answers to any of these questions. Here's what I know. There is a God who is so great and so mighty and so awesome that it's possible that he created all of that just so we would go, wow. Just so we would be astonished with him, just so we would get a glimpse of him and his beauty and his creative power. 
See, this awesome, amazing, unsearchable God who's made everything and wants us to be in awe, there's a reason. It's because He loves us. And it makes no sense to me. In fact, Psalm 139 says that God is intimately acquainted with all my ways, all my thoughts, all my actions, my attitudes, all that's troubling me. God is intimately acquainted with all of it. I don't know if that comes to you as good news or bad. But God is intimately equated. Now go back to Psalm 19. And let's continue to read. Psalm 19, picking up in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. His word is perfect. Just all of these descriptive words in here, it blows your mind. It's sure. It's right. It's pure, it's clean, it's more desirable than gold or honey from the honeycomb. He describes God in his word and says, look what God has done. Why does he give us his word? Because he wants to relate to us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to honor him as God and he wants to bless us. He gives us his word, it says in verse 11, to warn us and to reward us. He's given us his word to bless us. And this amazing God has given his amazing word as an essential part of the priceless relationship that he offers to you. Wow. Wow. I was thinking about this. When God created us, just imagine this. As God creates us, can you even wrap your mind around the idea of creating a being, a human? Like, it's an, it's an unbelievable thing. So what I was doing is what I'm always doing most times during the week because I have nothing to do. And so I play with Play-Doh in my office. That's what I mostly do. And so I had this Play-Doh, right? And I was, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, what must it have been like for God to create people? And I thought, I, I'm just going to try it, right? So I, I decided I was going to go ahead and create a person. And so, you know, I just kind of made my little uh, torso. It's, it's, it's like my torso, See the shape? Okay. So I made that. And then I thought, you know, obviously um, it, you're going to have to have a head, right? So I put a head on the torso, just kind of like this, you know. It's not pretty, but you get the idea. Okay. And then I thought, well, you need some arms. And so I made some arms. And, you know, I, I was thinking, this is not as hard as I thought. Just making a person. <laughs> I, I'm, I was pretty impressed with God until I started trying it myself. And then I went, I, look at that, there's an arm, right? And so then I thought, I wonder if I could do two arms. So I did a second arm and uh, this arm, well, that, that arm's not as big as the other one, but you get the idea, right? So that, now, now there's two arms and I thought, well, I better make it some legs so I don't have to make it some crutches or anything like that. So I created some legs and I put a leg on this side and... Then I only needed one more leg, so well, that's not enough. There we go. Otherwise, he's going to limp. So I made this leg, and I put it on, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. That's pretty easy. You can make a person. This is not so hard. And it wasn't, I was doing fine with this whole thing until something weird happened. As I was sitting with this, and I was just sort of looking at my little Play-Doh man, and all of a sudden, he talked to me. 
Yeah, I know, it's weird, right? I hope this doesn't cost me my job. I'm just being honest. So, so the Play-Doh guy starts talking to me, and he goes, hey, make me a sandwich. And I'm like, what? The Play-Doh guy is giving me orders? Does he understand I just made him? And so he says, no, 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 dude, make me a sandwich. And so I thought, well, if that's how he's going to be, right? And I just made him back into this, right? And I started thinking, how amazing is this that we have a God who creates us out of nothing and out of, in his own image, gives us life and makes us an image bearer of God. And what, what do we do with this God? We, we ignore him. And when we pay attention to him, it's because we need something. And we basically say to God all the time, hey, make me a sandwich. And I think, man, if I was God, right? But he's not like me. He loves anyway. How great is our God in spite of all this, in spite of how he, he, he loves me so much, in spite of my enmity toward him, in spite of the way I ignore him, in spite of the way that I disobey him and dishonor him and disrespect him, in spite of all that, what does he do? He sends his only son to die on the cross for me. How great is our God and how amazing is it how much he loves us. And still, in spite of knowing this, we still tend to question him, don't we? We still tend, when things don't go the way we want them to go, to feel like we need to hold him accountable, like he owes us an explanation, that God owes Plato man an explanation. And we want to hold his feet to the fire. And listen, I, I want it all silliness aside, I want to be really clear here. I think God gets it when we, when we don't understand. Our God, how could we understand? Our God is so much great. Your God is greater than you by a larger degree than I am greater than the Plato man. Okay? And so, of course, we don't understand everything about him. Of course, we don't always know what he's doing. Of course, his actions don't always make sense to us. And listen, we all know what it's like. I'm not telling anybody anything you don't know right now. We all know what it's like because you have been sitting in a hospital waiting room and wondering what's wrong with God right now that he's not answering my prayer. You have been sitting in a mortuary waiting room and thinking, why did God let me down? Why did he let this happen? All of us have had these experiences where we just can't make any sense out of this idea that we have an awesome, all-powerful God and that he loves us with an unconditional love and yet bad things are happening in our lives and we all go through ups and downs and we all have these times when we scratch our head and go, really, God, really? And I think God gets it. If he didn't get it, we'd all be smashed like Plato man, wouldn't we? He gets it. Job understood this. Some of our ladies are studying the book of Job on Wednesday mornings. Job got this. You know Job's story, right? He was doing great, and suddenly he was doing terrible, and everything got taken away from him, and he had no explanation and no idea why. As far as he know, knew, he had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve this, and yet all of this was happening, and we know the backstory, and we know there's stuff going on in the heavenlies that he knows nothing about, but he is just suffering. And for 37 chapters, Job just suffers, and he refuses to curse God, and he refuses to turn away from God, but he does question God. 
And he questions God again and again and again. And basically, he shrugs his shoulders and he goes, Really, God? Really? How does this work? This is not right. And at some point, if you go to the book of Job, we're in Psalms, just turn one book to the left and go to the book of Job and go to chapter 38. Because after all of this where Job is saying it's not fair, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not right, then what happens is in chapter 38, God finally has had enough and God speaks to Job. And here's what he says, chapter 38, verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? (laughs) That's a great, the way God says it, who are you? Who the heck do you think you are? Darkening your counsel, you are speaking words without knowledge. You don't have any idea what you're talking about, Job. And then he goes on and he he paints a picture for Job. He says, now, verse 3, gird up your loins like a man and I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. By the way, don't you love that God is sarcastic? It brings me great joy that God is sarcastic. <laughs> I just have to tell you that. Um, so people get on my case, I go, I'm just trying to be like the Lord. Um, <laughs> he says, tell me if you have understanding. Verse 5, who set the measurement since you know? Or who stretched out the line on it? Or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone? And when um, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth, it went forth from the womb, when I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, he's speaking of the earth here, right, and set a bolt on and doors, and I said, thus far you shall come to the waters, but no farther, and here shall your proud waves stop. And he's starting to explain that he created all this and Job doesn't have a clue. And he's basically saying, who the heck do you think you are to tell me where to get off? You don't have a clue. And you would think that at this point, Job would just go, um, my bad, <laughs> I, I get it, okay? But, but God doesn't relent. He just goes on and on through chapter 38, through chapter 39, and he just keeps giving him examples. So tell me about when you created the cow. What was that like? And how about when you hung the stars? What was that like? And he just keeps nailing him, right? And we get to chapter 40, um, and finally, Job's like, he's like spinning and and, uh, punch drunk. He's had enough. So in chapter 40, verse 1, then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. In other words, what do you have to say for yourself, tough guy? Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. In other words, I get it. I should have never said a word. I'm sorry, Lord. I get it. You are God. And wouldn't you think, if you were the author of the book of Job, wouldn't you wrap it up right here and go, and God forgave him, and Job lived happily ever after? But he doesn't. You know what God does? He jumps in again, and he starts battering him again. And God's just like, okay, tell me what it was like when you did this, and where were you when I did this? And he keeps battering him and battering him until we finally get all the way, all the way through chapter 40, we get to chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that 
you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. You say, wow, Doug, are you, are you trying to say that God's really mad at me for questioning some of these things? No, I, I really do think that God understands, but at the same time, we need to remember something. God is God, and we are not. Amen? We have to understand this. And so we have this awesome God. Now, go back to, to um, Psalm 19, and we'll wrap this up. Psalm 19, last two verses, 13 and 14. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love that last part. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, here's where I'm going with this. How do we respond to a God like this? We fall on our face and we remember that he's the rock and he's the redeemer. We give him his rightful place in our lives and we stop trying to fight him for control. See, what's the point of this whole message? It's to give us a wake-up call and some perspective. We live in a culture that tries to diminish God. And he's been downplayed and he's been ridiculed and he's been called just another philosophy and another religious idea. But I'm telling you now, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that our God is awesome and he rules above the earth. And so what do you do with a God like this? You fall down and you worship him. And so I leave you with this question, will you do that? Or have you fallen victim to too small thinking about God? Have you created in your own mind a God with a little g who's not nearly so impressive as the real God? Do you live as though somehow you have to take care of yourself? Or do you believe that this God of the universe actually loves you and holds you in his hand and will take care of you and bring you safely home? Have you lost your sense of awe and reverence when you come into his presence and think about him? Have you let other things have too much of your attention and too much of your focus? And have you been too willing to bow down at the throne of these little G gods like comfort and and happiness, and wealth, and prosperity. The God of the Bible is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who lived and died and lives again, the one who spoke the very words and caused all of creation to snap into existence at obedience. This is who our God is. He's the one who made us a little lower than all the angels and created us for a relationship with him and doesn't squash us when we deserve to be squashed, but instead sends his son to love us. What will you do with a God like that? How big is your God? I'll tell you this, that God holds out his nail-scarred hand to you and says, I want intimacy with you. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
What are you going to do with a God like that? Let's pray together.